Good evening and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow my personal Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Your Story Transmedia, a startup indie comic book, graphic novel, and video games publisher based in the Winnipeg area. Your Story is currently launching a brand new lineup of comic books, including their flagship comic, The River Knows, which is set in Winnipeg during the 1960s. It's a supernatural noir detective series that's equal parts X-Files meets a little bit of Mad Men and some Sin City thrown in for good measure. I've had a chance to check out an ebook version, which you can find at yourstory.ca for just $1.99, and it's got this cool, hard-boiled detective vibe mixed with a little bit of cosmic dread until you get that familiar sight of Portage in Maine. You can also check out some of their more light-hearted series, including Undercover UFO, Eon, and Through Space and Time and stuff. Just like the river knows, you can also buy those ebooks for just $1.99 at yourstory.ca. And if you're looking for a hard copy, you can also purchase limited edition, high quality first printing runs of their 8.5 by 11 magazine style comics for all of their currently released series. If you're a gamer, be sure to check out their upcoming game, Alien Machine Glow, which focuses on the hijinks of a cucumber farmer who gains the ability to see aliens. You can find out more about Alien Machine Glow as well as Your Story's other publications at yourstory.ca. And when you place an order, be sure to use one time promo code JETS2020 to get 15% off your order. On tonight's episode, we are going to be talking a little bit about what occurred during the end of the New York Islanders versus Tampa Bay Lightning game, as well as a couple of other NHL activities, including a trade and a little bit of some contract extensions, as well as some rumor buzz surrounding the Winnipeg Jets and Minnesota Wild defenseman Matt Dumba. Kicking us off, though, the Isles ended up, you know, salvaging a win out of a game in which they basically played hockey that I don't think Trotz particularly favors. You know, this is one of those situations where Tampa Bay had the run of 5v5 play, but generally speaking, the Isles did just enough to survive, got enough saves from Varlamov, and stayed alive long enough to eventually score the game-winning goal in double overtime. Perennially goalless forward Jordan Eberle ended up scoring the game winner, and I think that this is actually a bit of a monkey off of his shoulders. I know that he has had a couple of uh, scoring opportunities throughout these series and throughout the playoffs in general. The thing that's kind of odd with Eberle is that he's mostly been very unlucky. I think that he's had a number of opportunities to put away goals where he's either been robbed by guys like Carter Hart or Andre Vasilevsky, or he just kind of flubs and misses it on his own, and it's a little bit of misfortune. For him to win a pivotal game in overtime, especially after... I think both squads were a little bit tired, but you could tell that New York in general was a lot more tired than the the Lightning were. They didn't really have their skating legs. I I think that it means so much for Eberle personally, especially because he's, he's putting a lot of pressure on himself to try and be more productive and to try and create more scoring opportunities, which he has been getting a lot more towards the net. He's been getting in close and he's created some great opportunities for himself and his line mates. I think that as far as top sixers go, Eberle has done his job, but the one thing that he has not been able to do is finish on those chances. Now that he has, maybe his shoulders relax a little bit, he has a little bit more fun, and he can just try and enjoy his hockey. I know that this is a very tense series. They're still in basically an elimination game for the rest of the series, but against the best team in the NHL and certainly the best team left in the playoff field, New York has done a really admirable job, and I'm sure that it felt incredible to win in double overtime. So going forward, I think that the uh, the Isles are definitely going to have to do the same thing that they've done before, which is just survive. There's no real point in making too, too many adjustments to what they're playing and how they're playing, other than the fact that they kind of need to limit some of their bottom sixers. They are going to have to double shift guys like Matt Barzal more frequently and accept that defensively they're going to be playing a lot looser than I think Trotz would like. Ultimately, they're just going to have to be comfortable trading chances with the Lightning because Tampa Bay is going to keep coming in waves. They've got all of the depth and energy to keep going throughout most of these games. 
I think if you're the Lightning, you're probably starting to get a little bit nervous just because I think they've missed a couple of opportunities to score, and I think Varlamov has been very good in some of these games. And if you're the Lightning, that could be an issue. You know, goalieing is one of those situations where you can't really do a whole lot about it other than just hope that the puck eventually finds the back of the net. But I think Tampa Bay doesn't really need to change that much as far as their approach is concerned. They seem to be very disciplined. They've been playing pretty good hockey. They've gotten opportunities where they've had late power plays. I think ultimately it's just finding ways to finish those chances, which they've mostly done throughout the series. This was one of the games where they just had a little bit of trouble finishing the opportunities that they were creating. So, you know, I, I think that uh, they're looking pretty happy right now. I think that they're comfortable with where they are. In tomorrow's game, I expect their approach to be much the same as it has been throughout most of the series. Create lots of opportunities, look for a lot of crossy movement, put stuff on net, get in close, all the good stuff. I mean, this is a, a Lightning team that really doesn't have to worry about too much. If the Isles tie the series, though, then you start sweating. I think if New York somehow survives and manages to get it to Game 7, you know, Tampa Bay is going to be in an uncomfortable position because then both teams will be playing for elimination. Oddly enough, I feel weirdly confident that the Isles are going to pull this one out. I don't know why it is that I feel like they're going to survive this series, but, you know, maybe Tampa Bay is finally going to give out. Maybe they're just not going to be able to finish this one and end up getting past Varlamov. The only way that they have been is when Varlamov hasn't been sharp or they've managed to catch New York on a couple of key mistakes that they've made in the defensive zone. Call me a warden of chaos, but I have this weird feeling like the New York Islanders are just destined to meet the Dallas Stars in a very weird kind of Stanley Cup Finals. You know, if you asked me a couple of months ago who I thought would have made it all the way through, Vegas and Tampa Bay would have been my easy choices, with Colorado mixing in somewhere in third. But for Dallas to have survived Vegas, as well as the Avs, and, and done pretty well overall, I'm just kind of shocked. I feel like this has been a very strange bubble playoffs, and now we have Tampa Bay edging closer to being in a Game 7, which I don't think anyone would have expected, much less of this New York Islanders team. You know, there's always a good chance that tomorrow the series ends and we get Tampa Bay versus Dallas, which is still weird no matter how you put it. But if you are the Islanders, this is the situation that you've been working very hard to get to. You've already gotten two wins under your belt. You just need one more to try and force this series Game 7. At this point, there's not too many things you can tweak. You just kind of have to trust that your lineup is going to get through and probably not put in guys like Ross Johnston or anyone else who's going to be a net negative on the team. But if Casey Sezikis is healthy enough to play, he absolutely has to go in. One thing that the New York Islanders have struggled with is, is getting a lot of zone possession in the offensive end, but not being able to actually do much with it. Sezikis has ended up being a pivotal space creator by, by using a bit of an aggressive forecheck in the corners, and I think that without him, they've had issues getting around, especially towards the slot area. They've had to move the puck along the boards a lot, but without a puck retriever like Casey Sezikis, their whole dump and chase offense style really can't be used that much, at least in theory. I, I think that they're more than capable of doing it, but I can see why Trotz isn't quite comfortable asking them to commit deep, especially because Tampa Bay gets one counter and it's in the back of your net. So tomorrow is probably going to look like a game of chess, and I uh, I, I think that uh, the Isles are going to pull this one out. I don't know why, but I just feel like we're fated to get some sort of really stupid Stanley Cup final that no one would have predicted, but everyone is going to laugh at. It's going to be fun, and I think a lot of people are actually going to quietly enjoy it. I always root for underdog stories, and I don't think that you could get a weirder, crazier underdog story in the COVID era than the New York Islanders and the Dallas Stars ousting the two best teams in the NHL respectively to make the Cup Finals. On a related note of oddball things, up next we're going to talk about what happened with the Joel Edmondson trade after Montreal brought him in for a fifth round pick, but before then, I did want to talk about a bit more of a sensitive topic, and that is erectile dysfunction. 
talking about ED is always a very uncomfortable conversation for a lot of men. You know, it's, it's a personally embarrassing thing, and it's tough for guys. They often blame themselves saying things like, I've lost my mojo, or they try to avoid the issue and say things like, I've had a long day at work or I'm just not feeling it. With Roman though, it's finally easy to talk about it. You can speak with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication in a safe, simple, and totally discreet environment. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. A healthcare pro will work with you step-by-step to find the best treatment option, and if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. Using Roman couldn't be easier. To get started, just go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNHL today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNHL. GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNHL. Talking about ED has always been challenging, but with Roman, there's finally a solution to make it easier. Head on over to Roman today and get the help you need. During quarantine, it can be a bit difficult to figure out what you want to eat for dinner. To some degree, I think most of us are probably tired of frozen meals and pizzas. Once you get 10 frozen burritos in, you're probably questioning whether or not the hockey gods really are real. If you're stuck in the dining doldrums and looking for a way out, DoorDash is your lifeboat. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is super easy. Just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery option. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-to spots or choose from your favorite national chains like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Now more than ever, it's incredibly important to support your local businesses, and DoorDash makes it super easy. Right now, our listeners can even get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKEDONNHL. Again, that's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code LOCKEDONNHL. You're not only supporting your local establishments, you're also saving money. So, don't forget, that's code LOCKEDONNHL for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Welcome back to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets show. As I mentioned earlier, we are going to be covering some of the NHL trade scuttlebutt, including some contracts that have now been signed. And in another episode, I talked about Joel Edmondson moving to Montreal for a fifth round pick. Now, this was just an exchange of his rights because he's an upcoming free agent. Carolina wasn't interested in re-signing him, but for some reason the Habs are. And this is where it gets kind of weird. Joel Edmondson is probably best as like a seventh defenseman. He's big, he's physical, he's got a big shot, but unfortunately he's not really great at using all of these attributes to either create offense or shut down scoring chances against. Oftentimes you have to have a really high level of play reading ability to move that massive frame, get into good positions, and understand the best way to use your tool sets, and Edmondson just doesn't really have uh, an IQ for matching all of these different elements up in a way that allows him to work at a really high level. As a depth defender, I think he's fine. I think that if you brought him on in case of emergencies where there's somebody injured, that's, you know, fine, it's whatever. There are plenty of teams that have depth defensemen playing elevated roles, and I don't think that it's necessarily the worst thing if a couple of games you have a guy like Edmondson fill in and try and either rest somebody or avoid injuries. The problem with what Montreal has done is that they've now signed him for four years at three and a half million per season, which for me is just, I don't even understand how this contract happened. You know, Edmondson is more like a, probably a $1 million defenseman on like a one or two year deal. I don't really see the value in signing him for, you know, anywhere above two seasons, much less almost $4 million. And I think that that's something where Bergevin definitely swung and missed. I don't know what his pro scouts are telling him about him, but, you know, Edmondson is just this kind of guy who I feel like the Jets have like four or five of them that they've signed for league minimum deals. 
in the past I've talked about depth defensemen being an issue for the Jets, but I think when you pay a guy, you know, league minimum or a really cheap contract, you can't necessarily complain that much about the value so long as they are, you know, maybe around replacement level or, or just a bit below it. You're not looking for somebody who's like the worst defenseman in the world, right? But you're looking for somebody who can at least play in some games, maybe be a, a decent third-pairing guy. You know, you're you're getting a warm body, not somebody who's going to necessarily excel at this role, but just be fine enough. Edmondson, though, is being paid like a top-four defenseman, and I feel like that's going to put unfair expectations from the fans and from the team on his shoulders. Oftentimes when I've seen Joel, I think that the one thing that he really struggles with is like the speed of the game tends to move really quickly, and his decision-making and ability to make plays tend to be slower than the rest of the game, so I feel like that's going to be a bit of a mismatch. I don't know if Montreal is going to be able to coach that out of him necessarily. I think Montreal plays a really up-tempo, high-octane offense, and a lot of people will point to a guy like Ben Sherratt and say, well, you know, he was not great for Winnipeg, right? But he went to Montreal, and he's been a bona fide second-pairing guy. But I think if you really look at Sherratt's results and the way that he's been deployed, Claude Julien understood that he's not really a shutdown defenseman. You know, the way that Maurice saw him was like this big physical lockdown guy who can shot block, cut off passing and shooting lanes, and try and maintain a defensive presence around the net. But when you actually watched what he does, you know, Sherratt has struggled with boxing guys out. He doesn't always have great positional awareness. He's not somebody that I would trust with a lot of defensive duties because he's just not equipped to handle that, especially in anticipating play and getting himself into the right positions to head those off. I think that Edmondson's probably the same way, but unlike Sherratt, Edmondson doesn't really have the kind of skating or shooting that makes Sherratt more of a threat in the offensive zone. All in all, for me, this is just a really strange deal, and I feel like Montreal has definitely lost big here. They paid a fifth-round pick, and they signed a guy for four years, and normally you might say, wow, you know, that sounds like a great deal for the Habs, but when you look at the kind of value that Edmondson doesn't bring, I think that that's a serious issue. You've now got a huge contract, really, that's going to be a bit of an anchor, and I really wouldn't be shocked if, if you could sign a guy like Anthony Batetto instead for way less, probably like 775000 or a million dollars, and get an equivalent level of performance. You know, for all of the things that people say about Batetto, he's probably a bit better than Joel Edmondson. Both have some similar issues in terms of defending the crease and, and kind of getting that defensive gapping right, but, uh, you know, you're paying one guy a lot more than the other, and Batetto is on a very short-term deal. Edmondson's kind of locked up for the foreseeable future, and he ain't cheap. Montreal has always had cap space to burn, but I don't think you just want to set it on fire and kind of walk away from it. I think you actually need to get some kind of value out of it, especially when you're on a roster that's, that's made the postseason, done some damage, and has a chance to possibly improve this offseason. I have to say that Berrigan's attempt to rebuild that defense is starting off with a bit of an odd beginning. But when it comes to building his amazing biceps, he seems to know exactly where things stand. And much like Berrigan, building muscle and getting a nice balanced diet is incredibly important when you're trying to live a healthy lifestyle. When you're on the go though and can only have a protein bar, you're probably not looking forward to the experience because we all know that most protein bars are dry, desiccated husks and taste terrible. That's why the fine folks at Built Bar are back with a brand new recipe that takes the original concept of a soft, chewy, chocolate-coated protein bar that's more like a candy bar and now improves it and makes it better than ever. Built Bar's relaunch is dropping hot with six new flavors including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. Built Bars not only taste great, they're great for you. With most of them clocking in at under 200 calories, 
5 or less net carbs, and 15 to 19 grams of protein. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber, so they're perfect for keto diets and weight maintenance or weight loss programs. If you're looking for some flavor recommendations from their original 12 flavors, I'd suggest trying out the raspberry and mint brownie flavors first. You can also order a variety sampler box if you can't decide and want to give everything a shot. Better yet, you can even save money with a coupon code. Head on over to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your next order. Again, that's promo code locked on to get $10 off your next order at BuiltBar.com. Closing out tonight's episode of the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, I wanted to talk about a couple of other developments and some trade scuttlebutt. The first is that Marcus Johansson has been sent to the Minnesota Wild in exchange for Minnesota Wild center Eric Stahl. I guess I don't really get this trade from either side other than both teams are making some kind of a move. I don't know if the Sabres feel like Stahl's veteran voice is going to be more useful than Marcus Johansson's injury history, but they're kind of like swapping equivalent players at this stage of each of their careers, so I don't really know. Johansson was always a fan favorite in Washington, but I feel like with the amount of concussions and stuff that he's had, it's just not really a situation where he's probably going to provide a whole lot of value. His career is definitely in the latter stages, and for sure Eric Stahl is getting close to retirement too, so I I guess that this is a move that you can technically make. I don't really know what exactly the Wild are doing. They're starting to make a lot of trades and stuff and, and make some signings and whatnot, and I don't really get the direction. Bill Garrett is definitely trying stuff, but I don't know if any of it really makes a lot of sense. I mean, like, the Jonas Berdeen contract is fine, right? I get that. But this deal, I, I don't really understand. And they are also talking about shopping Matt Dumba, which is kind of interesting because, for me, Matt Dumba is a very confusing player. I, I feel like, as a defender, he's not really a defenseman because he tends to be a lot better in the offensive zone than he is his own end. You know, when he's in the offensive zone, he's got a great shot, he's got great lateral edge work, his passing and vision are great, and he can be a really dangerous offensive attacker, but I feel like when it gets to his own end, he's not really much for for shutting down passing lanes, winning tons of battles along the walls, and, and generally disrupting zone entries, so I don't know if he's the kind of asset that I think a lot of teams should be trading a big package for. And the reason that I bring this up is because people were talking about Matt Dumba being linked to the Jets. And as far as I'm concerned, I feel like Matt Dumba is basically fancier Neil Pionk, which I think for different reasons, each of those guys brings some unique offensive elements that are are genuinely useful to teams. And they can bring some really potent impact offense, especially at even strength. But I feel like for the kind of price that Minnesota is going to be asking, because they've already said they're not in a rush if they need to trade him, you know, I don't really feel like the Jets are going to are gonna do all that well in a, a swap with him. As cool as it would be to see Dumba in a Jets uniform, I'm just not really sold on the whole concept of the sort of on-ice impact that he'd bring. Certainly, I feel like he could be decent with the Jets, and maybe if you pair him with somebody like Dylan DeMello, we'd actually see a much more well-rounded version of, of what Dumba can do, especially in the offensive zone, and he'd give Winnipeg another power play back-end option. That said, his contract is up soon, and that means you're going to be looking at extension time, and I'm just I'm not really 100% sure if I would be comfortable signing Dumba long-term. You know, Dumba is definitely one of those guys who, he's got a weird profile, and I feel like as far as what he does on the ice, I'm just not sure if the Jets make a lot of sense as a fit. You know, you need a team that would aggressively attack from the back end and create a lot of transition offense, which is more like a Vegas Golden Knights or I guess more recently the Colorado Avalanche. As far as like Winnipeg is concerned, 
I feel like Maurice would like a more shutdowny type, somebody who's capable of being a two-way defenseman, and that's not really Dumba's style of game. For what the Wild would ask from the Jets, I'm just not really sold on that being their trade deadline acquisition going forward. I feel like if you're going to make a deal, especially for like a top 4D, you got to be a little bit more patient and wait to see what shakes out because a lot of teams are going to be in cap hell and I think that the Jets will have better opportunities to find somebody who's a little bit more well-rounded and actually fits the way that Maurice wants to coach this team because if you give him tools that he doesn't want to use, you're not going to have a fun time. That will do it for tonight's episode though. Let me know what you think the Jets should do about Matt Dumba, whether or not we should even think about trading him or just pass over him in general. Thanks so much for listening, and before you log off, check out the Locked On National Podcast, hosted by Sir Avampado, and as always, go Jets go.